Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Tuttle podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. We are so glad you're here. Each week on our podcast, you'll hear messages from our pastor, Brother Marty Williams. If you'd like to join us for worship, we meet every Sunday at 1045 a.m. Central in Tuttle, Oklahoma and online at fbctuttle.net. Now, let's get started.
his name. Glory to his name. There to my heart was the blood applied. Glory to his name. Amen. You know, it's an amazing thing to, uh, to think about that Christ died for us, shed His blood for us, and in so doing, we've been, uh, those of us who believe have been adopted as children of God. I know I say that almost every week, but that, but that is just an unbelievably incredible truth to me. That I am a child of God Almighty. And you know, as, as, you know when, when Wayne sent this order of service in on Wednesday, he had no idea what I was going to be preaching about. And frankly, I didn't have any idea what I'd be preaching about. Exactly, anyway. And, you know, and, as, and he, he chose that passage in Ecclesiastes, t- you know, to read that uh, at the end of the matter, after all has been heard, and this, this coming from the wisest, wealthiest man that ever lived. Scripture said there were none like him before and there will be none like him after. And he says when it's all said and done, and he had thousand wives, concubines, palaces, gold, silver, people from all over the world come to listen to his wisdom. And, and at the end of it all, he says, fear God, revere, honor, hold in esteem. It's what fear means. doesn't mean be scared of, exactly. Fear God and keep his commands. That sounds so easy. Amen? You know, and then we we sang that song, Give Me Jesus. Right? Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. You know what? It ain't that easy. It's not, is it? I mean, unless you guys are way more spiritual than me, it's not that easy. And you know, and that's, that's one of my, you know, the Bible, I've been thinking about this week. You know, the Bible says that in the end days, right, people will seek out preachers who tickle their ears, right, or who's, who, who preach stuff that, that they agree with, right? And you know what, I kind of get that because most of the time, the stuff the Lord lays on my heart to preach are stuff that I have struggles with, right? And for me to stand up here and preach to you, some of the tough things of Scripture, I, I don't ever want you to get the, to the place that you think, oh, well, he thinks he's better than us. I do not think I'm better than you. In fact, I'm probably worse than you. And when the Lord works on, when the word, Lord works on me, it's because I need it. Right? You know, we've been, we've been looking through and 
and I don't know if there's any end to this or not. We've been looking at, you know, what, what I'm calling the precious promises of God. And, uh, you know, we started with the promise of grace, right? His grace, his, his current grace, his future grace, his past grace. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for in, in your weakness is my strength. God's provision for our every need, no matter what that is. You know, and that's another one of those promises that's easy to preach and, and frankly, maybe for us a little harder to believe. A lot of times when we're going through difficult stuff, right? And then we talked about the promise of God's goodness to us, right? We're in Romans 8.28. He promises that all things, no exclusion, All things work together for good to those that love God and that are called according to His purpose. Another thing that's easier to preach and sometimes harder to see, and and you know as well as I do, it's even harder to see it in the life of a brother or sister in Christ or a family member that's going through stuff. It's not as easy to believe as what I would like for it to be. And we looked at the promise of His rest. You know, in a world that is filled with anxiety and stress and all of the stuff, Jesus says, come to me. You who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Oh, those are good stuff. Last week, talked about the promise of happiness. It's like, what? Yeah. Promise of happiness. Blessing. The word blessed in Scripture, at least, at least a lot of times, is, is literally the word for happy. Right? The happiness that comes from God by God bestowing His, His favor on His people. We looked at Psalm 30. We looked at a lot of stuff. But Psalm 33, 12, blessed or happy is the nation, the people. Those people with a common identity whose God is the Lord. The people He has chosen as His own inheritance. And if you are a believer in Christ, that's you. I am a believer in Christ. That's me. Right? The promise of of happiness. Now, I want to start by just telling you and reminding you that, that these precious promises... are reserved for the children of God. They are not for all of humanity. In fact, God promises judgment for those that do not believe in Him. But they are, they are for me. And they are for you if you are a child of God. And they're not only... They're not only promises that are in this life, but ultimately they are are promises for all of eternity. Right? I mean, the gift of grace ultimately rests in our salvation, the forgiveness of our sin. Right? Through repentance and trust in Christ. Scripture says, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's that's a promise of, of salvation. Forgiveness of sin and eternity in heaven, not hell and judgment. 
The ultimate good to which God promises us, right, is that he works all things, that in Romans 8, chapter 29, he works all things together for good, conforming us into the image of his Son, which ultimately results in our glorification. Right? Well, guess what? That doesn't happen on this earth where there's still presence of sin and sickness and disease and all that stuff. That happens in heaven. Right? So the ultimate good is our glorification in heaven. Likewise, rest and happiness for the believer ultimately. Now, make no mistake, these, these promises are not just about heaven. They're for life on earth. But ultimately, it's about heaven, right? Revelation 14 says, Happy, blessed, happy are the dead who die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. So ultimately, that, that happens in, in heaven. This morning, I want to share with you what some have called the, the greatest promise. And uh, it also is only for the children of God. For only those that have yielded their lives to Him and trust in Him, trust on the work that He did on a cross that, you know, that Roberta sang about. And it is the promise of His presence. The promise of His presence. We see it throughout Scripture. And I'm, I'm going to read several different passages of, of Scripture to you, and, and you're going to know the phrase full well. But the promise of His presence in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 6, and I'm going to put these guys through paces up there this morning because I don't know how much of this I actually got built, right? But it says, Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. That is a promise of abiding presence. That Almighty God will not leave you nor forsake you. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 20 through 23, it says, Then Samuel said to the people, and th this is an amazing passage of Scripture for me. Christ, it starts out like this. Do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Well, that's a great way to address the people of God. You have done all this wickedness, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart and do not turn aside. And then you would go after empty things which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. Even in the midst of unfaithfulness, we have the promise that he will not forsake his people. That's a glorious truth. In Psalm the psalmist says in Psalm 37, he says, I have, see, I have been young and now I am old. <laughs> I have seen the righteous. I have, excuse me, no. Yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. He, he is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. 
Depart from evil and do good and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. They are preserved forevermore. Isaiah 41, 10 through 17 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He goes on and through several passages of that scripture, talks about that he will help them. He will be their God. He said, the, the poor, the verse 17 says, The poor and the needy seek water, but there is none. Their tongues fail for first. I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Then we come to the New Testament. I won't read as many. We come to the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 5 says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And you know, in each one of those passages, we could look at the context of, of wh- when it is that, that the Lord tells His people that, that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And, and in each of those contexts, there is, there's fear or there is battle or there is different things going on in the lives of, of His people. And it's, and it's like, you know, when, when the people of God needed to know that God was there, that's what he told them. He says, I will be your God. I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, we, we come to the New Testament. We come, to the, we come to the cross of Christ. And we know that, that Jesus died for, his, for our sins. In fact, one of the things that, that I have thought about this week, the Lord always be with us, and, let, and yet Jesus on the cross, and yet Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened? Where were, the, where were the promises that I will always be with you? Let me tell you what happened. What happened was our sin. My sin. Your sin. I don't mean to be hollering in this microphone. My sin and your sin. For a time, separated the Lord Jesus from His Father. You believe that? That's the only way that the promises of Scripture become mine. And the only way that the promises of Scripture can become, become yours is because for a time Jesus was forsaken by God because of my sin. And yet when Jesus is resurrected, and this is another whole message or messages unto himself that I'm not going to get to today. 
But Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 28, it's one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that, that you have. Probably most of you could quote it from memory, right? It says, And then the, then the disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Guess what? That separation from God didn't last very long. <laughs> Can you? I mean, I, I, I've just been thinking. I mean, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do damage to the Word of God. But can't you just imagine when Jesus got to heaven? Well done, son. Your name shall be above every name. You shall be revered. And worshipped as king, as judge over all of heaven and all of earth. And Jesus tells his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then he says these amazing words to these disciples. And most scholars think that this, that this, this passage that is, happens in Galilee is not where Jesus was taken up in the clouds and ascended back into heaven. That happened back in Jerusalem. Right? Not in Galilee, which was a week's journey. I mean, for men, of course it wasn't for Jesus, but... And, and then Jesus says this, he tells these disciples, with which there, there could have been 500 of them. All right, we know that's how many he appeared to. Paul tells us that, right? He says, and lo, or behold, see, I am with you always even until the end of the age. And you know what? The end of the age hadn't come yet. The end of the age is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Right? That's going to be the end of the age. That's when everything's going to be made right. Right? I am with you always. He is always there. That was that was that just for these guys? Was that just for these disciples? No. No, I am with you, always. You know, even from a human standpoint, it's comforting to know that somebody's with you. You know, I don't know, I don't know how many times there have been in my life, you know, when I don't know, I've been, I don't know, stressed out, for lack of a better word. You guys probably understand kind of what that means. Worried, bothered, busy. I mean, I don't know what all the instances are, right? And my wife, Brenda, has simply said to me, I'm here for you, babe. Dozens of times she has said that to me. I am here for you, babe. Well, you know what? As great as that, because there's... There's some things she can't fix. Right? I mean, she knows that. I know that. 
But still, in the, in the midst of whatever might be going on in life, just to know that somebody is committed to be there for you is a big deal. Amen? And here we have the promise of Christ Jesus himself, who is not without power, <laughs> who has all authority been given to him in heaven and on earth. Right? So this is not just about future things in heaven. All authority given to him on heaven and on earth. I am always with you. Amen. Amen. But you know, it doesn't feel like that always, does it? Why is that? Why, why is it so hard for us to, to grasp the, the reality and the truth if we believe this word? And I do. I believe this word. And probably if you're in this building, you believe this word. If you're not, you should. I pray the Lord change your heart. But, but why is it so hard for us to live in the, in the reality of the, the presence of God, that God is always with us? And, you know, I, and I don't have all the answers to that. I know this. We are busy. We work hard. We play hard. We, we have our lives consumed with with all kinds of things to entertain us, to occupy our time. We watch television. We, you know, you can be in a, and, and you guys have seen this, you can be in a room of 10 or 12 people, and people will be visiting. And if there's any teenagers or younger folks in the room, I can guarantee you they're not paying attention to you because they're on their phone. Watching a video, playing a game. There are untold numbers of distractions in our lives. Amen? And, and, I, and I think that that we really have a hard time looking to God for all that His power and presence brings us. Remember I told you this was kind of a hard thing to preach and I struggle with it as much as anybody else. I, I think that in many cases we have, we have gotten used to a life without Jesus. Boy, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? We've, we've got comfortable in living our lives apart from the continued ever Present presence of God. Jesus said, I, I am with you always. You know, Jesus had told his disciples earlier. It's like, okay, well, how, how, I mean, how is this going to work? Well, we know how it works. It works, through the, it works through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen? I mean, Jesus, Jesus told his followers in John chapter 16, right? He says, I'm getting ready to go away to him who sent me, which was his father. He said, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. 
That is one of the most unbelievable statements of Scripture that I can imagine those disciples hearing. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. The Helper, the, the Comforter, the Paraclete, the, the One who comes alongside. He said, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority. He will glorify Me. He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are Mine. Therefore, I said that He will take of Mine and will declare it to you. You know, when Jesus came as a baby... Right, the angel told Mary, what? Behold, the virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God sent Jesus to be God with us. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to be God with us. Now, why then... Why then are we not continually aware and feel His presence? Because unless you're different from me, you don't all the time. And I doubt if you're that much different than me. Well, perhaps it's because we've not done our part to keep our relationship with God where it ought to be. You know, there's an old saying that I heard years and years ago. You guys have heard it too. If you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? The truth is that sin affects the feeling that we have of the presence of God being near. God's promise is that He is always with us. He's not wrong. He hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. His promise is sure. He does not evacuate the premise. The problem is that when I lose my focus on Jesus and on His Word and on, on, His, and, and on His will, and it's just as simple as Solomon said it was, at the end of it all, right? Fear God and obey His commands. Right? And, and if we were to be able to live our lives like that, we would be, I'm, I'm pretty convinced, we would be constantly aware of the presence of God in our lives. And I, and I just got to tell you, there is nothing better than that. There is nothing better than sensing the very presence of God in your life. I hope, I hope that you have truly experienced that. If you haven't, we're going to give an invitation here in a little while where we're going to invite you to come to Jesus. And can I tell you what? That coming to Jesus is inviting the presence of God into your life. A presence that will not ever go away. But... But sin in our own lives 
creates issues. I don't know what else to call it. Issues in our relationship with sensing and feeling the presence of God in our lives. We know that Scripture teaches a couple of things about sin and the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches that, that sin grieves the Spirit. And the Bible teaches that sin quenches the Spirit. I don't have time to preach a whole lot on what necessarily those mean, but just the words grieve and quench give us an idea that that's something that's not good. Amen? Right? And we have the Holy Spirit that ever indwells us. Right? Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to read these to you. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That, that sounds like a command. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, but put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So the, the Holy Spirit of God is grieved by, by those things. And you know, when we're, susceptible, we're susceptible to those, right? I'm susceptible to those. Right? I mean, just, I don't know, cut me off in traffic. Um, say something about my wife. Say something about my kids. Right? And those things well up in us, do they not? They do. I can't help it. I should be able to help it, but I can't help it. Right? So those, those things happen. And when they do, and I react in a way that God would not have me to react, then, then there is something that happens with the, my feeling of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. 1 Thessalonians talks about quenching the Spirit. It says this, it says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then it just says this, do not quench the Spirit. Now, both of those are messages on their own, but, the, but the, the thing that I want us to understand is that our attitudes and our actions towards other people, affect the closeness of our relationship with God. I didn't, say it, I didn't say it destroys our relationship with God. If you're saved, nothing is going to destroy that relationship. But you know as well as I do that there are times when we feel closer to God than we do at other times, when we are more aware of His presence than we, than we are at other times. And, and in large part, sin is the reason for that. Praise God, though. You know, we, if we can't help it, if we're saved, but we're sinners, right, then, then we have to deal with these things that come into our life that, that at least temporarily affect our relationship, our feeling of the presence of God in our life. I think that's what John was feeling when he wrote 
1 John, right, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. None of you would be as bold as to say you don't have any sin, I doubt. <laughs> if he does, the truth is not in you. Right, but then he says, but if we confess our sins, and he's writing to believers. He's not writing to people that don't believe. See, people that don't believe have no concept of sin until the Holy Spirit of God convicts them. But he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. So, what is our part? I told you originally, right? That, that perhaps we don't sense the presence of God because we haven't done our part. What is our part? What is our part of keeping our relationship with God as it ought to be, as God designed it to be, where we live in a continual awareness of the presence of God? Not only the presence of God, because where the presence of God is, the power of God is. The authority of God is. I mean, we get that, right? Well, the first thing that I want to say is, Jesus says over and over, He says, come. He says, come. He says, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He told the rich young ruler, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. You see, our only part is to come to Jesus. Or to come back to Jesus. Coming to Jesus is about recognizing His authority. It's about submitting ourselves to Him and to His ways and to His message and to His methods. It is to acknowledge for real that Jesus is the Lord and King and ruler and authority. And we come. And that's the only way that we can come. Jesus made no, he made no bones about telling his disciples, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. There is no way you are going to be victorious in any of this yourself. I have it all. And I will never leave you. I will never leave you. You know, a couple of things that we learn from the, uh, from the Apostle Paul in that passage that I just read in Thessalonians that I kind of just really breezed over, right? That was about quenching the Spirit. It says, Now we exhort you, brethren, to warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. 
So some keys, right, to not quenching the Spirit. Number one, pray. Pray always. He said, what does prayer do? Prayer is a continual acknowledgement of our need for God. That's all prayer is. Right? It's like, you know, know, every prayer that we pray, whether it's praying for someone or praying for ourselves, is an acknowledgement that we need God. So, any any person that has a desire to come to God is a person that prays. Do you pray? Well, we pray at mealtime. Yeah, that ain't what I'm talking about. He says pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. A continual acknowledgement of our need from Him. You know, I guess we could... We could spend all of our time in prayer if we could. There's, and there is a way of praying without ceasing. It is, a, it is a continual acknowledgement that we need God. And you know what? Everything that happens in our life every day. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but do, do you go through your day and sometimes just remember that you forgot God? I mean, I know that sounds crazy. But even as a preacher, I find myself having forgotten about God. Pray continually. Pray without ceasing. He also says, give thanks. Give thanks. What does giving thanks do? Giving thanks is a continual recognition of God's goodness and His gifts. It is acknowledging before the Heavenly Father that everything that you have, that you hope to have, comes from Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thanking Jesus is part of the process of coming to Jesus. He also says, always pursue what is good. Did you catch that? See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. Isn't that simple? But how often, (laughs) this is amazing to me, how often do we pursue the things that we know are against the will of God? And when we do those things, when we live that way, when we make that decision, it affects our awareness of the presence of God in our life. He says, pursue. Pursue what is good, both for you and for others. And then the last thing, it's really not the last, but it's the last I'm going to preach about this morning. Recognize that God can and will use you in the process of showing His presence in the lives of others. Just like Brenda telling me, I'm here for you, babe. Right? This, this passage in 1 Thessalonians, right, says... Warn those who are unruly. Comfort the faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. Those are being. Those are allowing ourselves to be used by Almighty God in showing His presence to others. 
And you know what? In serving like that, you will discover a, more, a better awareness of His presence in your own life. It's an amazing thing. Because you see, just wanting right, His presence in our life, doesn't that, doesn't that sound kind of selfish? But it's not. It's not selfish. Right? It is what God desires for us. Because He desires not only to be that real in our life that we're continually aware of His presence, but then He can use us to be His hands and feet in the world as we minister to other people. Because see, that's what, the, that's what Matthew 28 is all about. Right? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go make disciples. Go share the gospel. Go tell people that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but by me, and that I have come that they might have abundant life. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have abundant life. Go tell them. Go teach them. You should be a part of that. You're commanded to be a part of that. Everybody's not a gifted teacher. But everybody has a part. Everybody has a part in discipling people or being discipled. You may be here today and you've not responded to the call of God on your life. Jesus says, come to me. You may be here and sin has you feeling far from God. It happens. Jesus says, come to me. There's cleansing from unrighteousness. There are many people, there are many people that need to be reminded of God's promise of His continual presence. May we do our part to maintain that and to show others and to help others understand that. Amen? Amen. Brian, come up and lead us in a hymn of invitation. Guys, stand with us, please. And maybe you're here today and you need to come. You know what? Come is directly opposed to, no, I'm going to stay. Right? And in all of those passages where Jesus says, come, it required action on part of people to get right with Him. I invite you to do that today. Change my heart, oh.
Hey friends, before you go, if you have a prayer request, we invite you to send us an email at prayforyou@att.net. That's P-R-A-Y, the number four, Y-O-U at att.net. Or call the church office at 405-381-2492. If you'd like to learn more about our children's, youth, men's, women's, or senior adult ministries, visit our website at fbctuttle.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We love you and we hope you have a blessed week.